At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more... Right now, you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. A warmer Philly low. Welcome to Lovey Las Vegas. We're going to go soups with myself, Greg Pierce, and now part of the Beeson family and podcast and we got a great podcast for you. As in the second segment, we're going to be joined by Blake Lovell. He does an amazing job covering all things college basketball for Blue Ribbon Yearbook. He also does work with the Southeastern 14. That is all about SEC coverage. We have seen a lot of changes happen this offseason already with regards to the SEC, including a mass exodus at LSU, so we'll talk about that, and then we'll dive into these two final four games. Here in the first segment as well, I'll be hitting up on the transfer news and notes that we've seen, including a coaching firing out there in the Big East, as that is currently hot and heavy because, well... Games are relatively thin. We've got the two final four games today, and then we've got the national championship game on Monday, and then it's off-season mode, so we're going to be taking a look at everything that we're getting right now that is going to be affecting next year and seasons to come as well. We're going to be keeping this podcast going all throughout the off-season as well, just because we do have a lot of names in the portal. We've got a lot of coaching moves that are still to be determined. Now, obviously, Butler as well, so we'll be touching upon that in the first segment, touching upon that a little bit more in the second segment, and in the final segment, going to give you guys pictures and analysis on both of our final four games as we hit some bank shots. You heard me on the podcast a few days ago stating that, well, just because the games are bigger doesn't mean that your bet size needs to be bigger, but with that said, I'm going to do everything possible to be able to give you guys a chance to be able to make some money today. I will also say this as well. I'll go through the props a little bit with regards to player props. I personally am not going to be betting on any of them. I just like to stick strictly to the sides and the totals. I'm not someone that I wind up venturing off and bet stuff that I just don't wind up betting throughout the season. I'm really the same way when it comes to the Super Bowl as well. I like to keep myself grounded. I don't want to be just trying to risk for the sake of risking rather than just going with what has been successful for me throughout the season. But I'll give you guys some thoughts since I know that some of you guys are going to be diving into those player props a little bit more. It's not going to be anything too extensive, but It'll be a little bit of something, and always do love to be able to answer Twitter questions on this podcast, and you got one or two ways to be able to fire those in. First one is my Twitter timeline, at GUnit underscore 81. Keep in mind, letters M maybe does not matter, so as per usual, please just send these into the timeline, and... The other way is find an Apple Podcast review. If you rate this podcast five stars, it is very much appreciated. And then from there, you're able to find whatever you'd like to hear on this podcast. If I had the five-star review, really didn't get into many questions today. I feel like we have dissected this Final Four from a lot of different angles. So hopefully I've done my best there. And if I haven't, well, hopefully I do so in the final segment when we wind up hitting bank shots. But 
We did wind up seeing a lot of news in terms of college basketball with regards to coaching firings, guys entering in the NBA draft, and transfers as well. So we're going to dive into that. And we also wound up having a game on Friday that we need to recap as well. So let's dive in. A game's from yesterday is Greg buzzing about. Here is the rowdy recap. For those that wound up taking Fresno State on the over, like I wound up giving out on the podcast yesterday, this winds up getting there easily. Fresno State, 85-74 to 74 winners over Coastal Carolina. So we have not lost a bet on this podcast since Tuesday. Woohoo! There we go. As wound up having Fresno State go 12 and 20 from three point range, including an absolute sizzler from Destin Whitaker. The six foot five sophomore goes six of six from three point range. Future is very bright for Fresno State because you got to figure that Orlando Robinson, the seven footer, is going to be going in the draft. And if this was his last game, well, he had 20 points, 14 boards, and wound up burying a three for Coastal Carolina, eight of 28 from three point range, a relatively solid showing towards back half of the season. If they wind up getting back Rudy Williams, who it was a senior year from, but I think that he's got a COVID year eligible as well. 23.7 boards. He was relatively solid. And just nine turnovers for Coast Carolina, but Fresno State also took care of the ball. Just nine for them as well. So Fresno State, give them kudos. They wind up being able to get the job done. And we wind up seeing some moves that wind up happening on Friday with regards to the offseason as well. That is going to be affecting what we're going to be getting for the 2022-23 season. And we're going to be taking a look at every single one of these conferences during the offseason. I do a specialized conference preview for every one of them. The VEASAN College Basketball Betting Guide. Really, the groundwork is going to be starting right about now. I don't wind up starting my write-ups for a little bit, but I'm going to be gathering information even during this final four weekends. So I'm already on to trying to give you guys ways to be able to make money for next year. So when I say this shouldn't be the last weekend for your bankroll, this is what I'm talking about because we're going to have a 2022-23 season that's going to have over 4,500 games. So we've got you guys covered there. But when it comes to Butler, we did wind up seeing the Can Laval Jordan. The reason why the Can comes right now rather than a few weeks ago is because well, the buyout number one of dropping, so a little bit of a tough look there. Laval Jordan has been canned at Butler, so he is out there on the open market. You do feel for him a little bit. I mean, it is one of those things in which it is a business, and at the same time, it does hurt his ability to be able to get a new job for this upcoming season as well. So I do see the business side of things, and you also take a look at the human side of things. Not necessarily the world's greatest look. So that wound up happening. You also wound up seeing quite a few transfers wound up going down as well, including a pair of brothers, actual brothers, that wind up going to Nevada. We'll hit up on that in a minute. Brian Trimble Jr., who was at Akron last season and was a solid cog for Akron this last season. 10.5 points per game. Guy that shot 34% from three-point range, one of the top scorers for this team. He decided that he's going to be going to a Missouri State program that has had a lot of success out there in the Missouri Valley Conference. It's going to be intriguing to see if they're able to get back their two top guys from this last year. Engage Prim along with Isaiah Mosley. It should be able to get back Mosley unless he winds up going pro, but that's a team that I think could be worth watching for moving forward, and we've seen a lot of movement when it comes to Nevada. You did wind up having DeAndre Henry, a guy that really just did not wind up playing much in general. He decided that he is going to be hitting at the transfer portal, and now you've got with Nevada a pair of guys that they wound up leaving because the other guy that wound up leaving, Desmond Cambridge, he has decided to hit the transfer portal along with his brother Devin Cambridge, 
and both of these gentlemen are going to be playing for Arizona State with Cambridge, Desmond Cambridge, I should say, because they're both last name Cambridge. He wound up having the bigger year of the two because Devin Cambridge is someone that at Auburn he was a part-time scorer. He wound up seeing right around 19 and a half minutes per game. Not like he had bad numbers this year. Five and a half points, three and a half boards per game. Only a career about 28 and a half percent three-point shooter during the 2020-21 season. More like nine points per game. Seems like a guy that is probably going to need the ball in his hands a little bit more. He has, he's a six foot six, little bit of a combo player that doesn't necessarily shoot at the world's greatest from three-point range, but you take a look at his brother Desmond and this guy has been able to do a great job of being able to fill it up. Actually he started his career at Brown University wound up having 16.2 slash 16.3 points per game these last two years and Nevada wound up averaging one block and 1.7 seals per game. 37% three point shooter this last year. They should be able to do some very good things for an Arizona State program that well they wound up melting down in the Pac-12 tournament but they did wind up showing some signs of brightness towards the back half of the season so I'm actually a little bit lukewarm on them. It's going to be intriguing to see what you wind up getting there, but I do think that they could be able to take some strides forward. Only question is, are they going to be replacing their coach or not? I think that that's a very big question because well, if you take a look at what we've seen out of Bobby Hurley, he should be coaching at Dayton because that's oftentimes where he finds himself at the end of the year. Dontavious King, he was at NC Central this last year, entered in the transfer portal, a solid player that was able to give the team 7.5 points, 4.5 boards, mostly a starter for this team, has some active hands as well, just under a steal per contest, wanted to begin his career at College of Charleston, six foot seven, 250 pound, a little bit of a shifty guy as a side that he is going to be entering into the transfer portal. I think that you might have a little bit here with Mikey West as well, someone that wound up entering in the transfer portal from Bethune-Cookman, guy that averaged right around five points, two assists, is able to dole out the ball a little bit, just couldn't necessarily find his footing at Bethune-Cookman. He has entered into the transfer portal, and then speaking of the swag, Chance Moore as well is the guy that does intrigue me a little bit. He decided that he was going to be entering into the transfer portal as well. Someone that wound up playing this last year at Jackson State. Right around 8 points per contest. A Jackson State team that really struggled to be able to put the ball in the basket. He was one of their better 3-point shooters. Right around 34.5% from 3-point range. Turned the ball over a little bit too much, but at six foot eight, being able to pop threes like that, you got to figure that there is going to be a little bit of something to be had. Now, when it comes to exoduses at these schools, you're noticing that Schools that wound up undergoing a coaching change, you've seen a lot of transfers there. Travis Steele was recently hired on by Miami of Ohio, and Major White, along with Ada Grant, wound up entering into the transfer portal on Friday, and with Major White, someone that was an okay scorer for this team, right around four and a half points per contest. I was expecting perhaps a tad more out of him because he was actually a starter this last year. It's a dip from the previous year. Previous year was able to average more around six points per contest, shot 41% from three this year, more like 35% from three. Dayday Grant, he was a walking bucket for Miami of Ohio this season, and I think that he becomes one of the best players out there on the transfer portal. 17 and a half points, four assists, shot 43 Shot 34.5% from three, 85% at the free line. So I think that there's going to be a lot of teams that are going to be lining up for his services. Austin Ash, who was at Iowa this last season, he decided that he was going to be entering in the transfer portal as well. You notice it with a lot of these Iowa guys that they don't wind up getting minutes at Iowa, and then they wind up going elsewhere, like Jack Nunge, for example, at Xavier. They wind up being able to tear it up, wind up averaging right around three points per contest. I think that if he winds up going down to a little bit of a lower level, he could be able to find some success. Also, when it comes to LSU, last one to leave, turn out the lights, Mawani Wilkerson along with Efton Reed have now decided that they're going to be entering into the transfer portal. You take a look at this LSU team and 
I don't know if there's anyone that's wound up seeing meaningful playing time that is still in the program because you wound up seeing Alex Fudge enter into the transfer portal as well. I think Justice Williams might still be there. He averaged 1.7 points per game. That's about it. I mean, we have seen a complete and utter overhaul there, and we've already seen a pair of guys from Murray State wind up entering into the program as well as you wind up having that coaching change go down in the offseason. So Mr. Mag McMahon has already brought with him Justice Hill along Trey Hannibal. So going to be very intriguing to see what happens there. And speaking of Murray State, Nicholas McMillan was a little bit of a role player for Murray State this last year. Three points, three rebounds per game. He decided that he is going to be entering in the transfer portal as well. Robert Ford III is a name that really sticks out to me. He was at Idaho State this last season. He has decided that he is going to be entering in the transfer portal and I think that this is a guy that he's got a little bit of potential because you take a look at what he wound up doing during the 2020-21 season at Idaho State. 11.5 points, 7 boards, 3 assists, a steal per contest while shooting 36.5% from 3-point range. Began his career at Clackamas of Oregon Community College came in, did some relatively solid work with Idaho State, wound up playing just nine games this last season, but guy has some talent, so I'm going to be intrigued to see what happens there. Same with Femi Odakala. He was at Pittsburgh this last season, wound up averaging 11 points, 3.5 boards, 3.5 assists per game. Problem was he was a little bit of a walking turnover, had three turnovers per contest. Guy that shoots right around 33% from three. I just feel like Pittsburgh relied upon him a little bit too much. This is not a primary scoring option, but if he could be like a third or fourth banana for a team, even a power five team, I think that he could be very effective. You take a look at what he wound up doing towards the middle half of the season. So we're going to go pretty much from December 21st all the way through February 7th. So this cuts off the first half and the back half of the season. He had a 13-game stretch in which he was able to provide 14 points per game. Shot 41.5% from three. Started the season was a little bit rocky with all the injuries. Back half of the season with Pittsburgh was just completely flailing. Was not necessarily great either, but he's shown an ability to be able to take over some games. Matt Cross is someone I think is going to be intriguing as well. He is leaving Louisville, wanted to begin his career at Miami, a former top 100 recruit that I thought was going to do some good things with Louisville this last season. Six points, four rebounds per game. A guy that's able to stretch a floor while he was at Miami. Shot 40% from three, 28.5% this season. This Louisville program was a hot mess. I think that he's going to be able to do some okay things, so I'm going to be very intrigued to see what happens there. Simmons, Lucatius, who was at Butler. We wound up seeing them. Can their coach, as I mentioned a little bit earlier in Laval Jordan, he has both entered into the NBA draft, and he has also put his name in for the transfer portal. If this guy winds up going pro, he, he's someone that winds up coming over from the continent of Europe. It certainly is going to be over there, because, I mean, the guy wound up averaging seven points per game and had some moments of really good play. I will say that. He's a guy with a lot of upside. That said, this is not a guy that's going to be getting drafted. I mean, you take a look at the inconsistencies that he wound up having, and they are just absolutely rampant because if you take a look at the final 12 games of the season, in this time span, he wound up averaging 8 points per game, shot 89% of the free throw line, 25.5% from 3. He had games of 14, 19, and 27, and in the other 9 games, that's 7 points or fewer. So, I mean, there are flashes there, but at the same time, you need to see consistency from the 6-foot-6 six six gentleman. Gotta figure that he's going to be going elsewhere, and whoever wise getting him, I think that they're going to be getting a very good player, but I do think that it's a case in which we need to see him play a little bit 
bit more consistently before we really know what he truly is at this point. Justin Hill, I feel like we know relatively what he is. He was playing for the Longwood Lancers in the NCAA tournament this last season. An all-Big South player is going to be committing to play with Mike White over there at Georgia. And Georgia, I think that they're going to be better under White. I don't think that Mike White is necessarily the world's greatest coach, but he's replacing Tom Crean. So you really can't go further down than that. I think a McDonald's Happy Meal might be able to do a little bit better than that. So we are already in better shape there. A guy that was able to give Longwood this last year 14 points, four assists, shot right around 34.5% from three-point range. His step-up in competition is going to be big, but at minimum, I think that he's going to be able to give this team some relatively solid minutes. And wouldn't be surprised if we wind up seeing this gentleman step up a level as well. Camden Kerfman, he's coming in from VMI, and he has entered into the transfer portal. A guy that in three years at VMI was a starter all throughout. He was able to average this last year 15.5 points, 2.5 assists, wound up shooting 80% the free fly and 39.5% from three on 9.33 attempted per contest. This is a guy that's able to bomb it from three-point range. There's going to be a lot of people that are going to be very interested in his services. Boink Marange, he has decided that he is going to be entering into the transfer portal. He was playing at UTEP this last season. Wound up averaging two and a half points per contest. Not really that big of a deal, but Tyson Acuff, who didn't wind up seeing a ton of minutes while he was at Duquesne this last year, I think that he could be a little bit of an impact player. A guy that wound up seeing 16 starts for Duquesne, he wound up averaging just five and a half points per contest but guy that wound up shooting 39.5% from three-point range, 6'4", a little bit of a shifty guy. He decided that he is going to be entering into the transfer portal. Jordan Polonies, he was playing at our good friends of Chicago Seydoux. Actually played a little bit better this last season. He decided that he is going to be entering in the transfer portal. The sample size of him is small. Wound up playing six games there in the 2020-21 season, but they wind up averaging 7.5 points per game. Wound up actually playing at East Los Angeles College out there in California. So going to be interesting to see if anyone winds up taking a shot on him. You wind up seeing a few other guys that, shall we say, wind up seeing no playing time whatsoever enter in the transfer portal as well. And we wind up seeing a few guys come out of the transfer portal as Aiden Carpenter, he was playing this last season at Siena. He has decided that he is going to be going to Sacred Heart and it's a kid that I think has a shot to really be able to tear it up in the Northeast Conference. Wound up seeing 11 starts over the last years at Siena this last year was a little bit banged up but was able to give the team 7.5 points per contest. Three-point shooting is not there. Shot 21.5% from three in two seasons at Siena but a guy that's able to be a relatively solid defender, a guy that is able to cut to the basket. 6'5", has a little bit of rebounding ability in him so I do like that pickup. And then you wound up seeing Dante Maddox who last season was at Cal State Fullerton. He has decided that he is going to be heading to Toledo and Toledo has really been able to hit it big with a lot of these transfers. Ray J. Dennis this last season is a good example. Wound up seeing a little bit of a dip in his three-point shooting percentage this last season. Shot 42.9% during the 2020-21 season with Cal State Fullerton this last year, 25%, but was still able to be effective. Still gave the team seven points right around ACO per contest. You got to figure that his three-point shooting percentages of 43 and 25, he's probably somewhere in the middle, more around the 34%. And he's got cumulatively the last two season, so I've got to think that he's going to be able to do some relatively solid work over there in Toledo. Nelly Cummings is someone that I also think is going to be a good addition. He winds up going to Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh is a program that they've had a lot of exoduses with regards to guys transferring out of programs, and Nelly Cummings actually began his career at Bowling Green, really was able to take off these last three years while I was at Colgate this last year. 14.5 points, 3.5 assists, was able to shoot 36% from three-point range as really the man because first two years on campus he was playing alongside one Jordan Burns who was one of the best 
players in the Patriot League that we frankly have ever seen. And you take a look at what he was able to do down the stretch, and he was able to be very solid from February 5th on, final 14 games, 13.5 points per contest. Did wind up only shooting about 28% from three-point range, but did a great job. Three and a half assists, only two turnovers per contest. Wound up having a little bit of turnover wolves towards the beginning of part of the season. So was able to rein it in there, and that is going to be big because Pittsburgh, they really dealt with a lot of guys that wound up having some turnover issues. So I do think that he's going to be able to come in. He's going to be able to do some very nice work with regards to this team. And then another guy that I think is going to be relatively solid at his new stop as well, that'd be Kendall Munson. He wound up beginning his career at Pepperdine. He's going to be heading over to Portland State. Just really couldn't find his footing over there at Pepperdine. First year on campus, average right around four and a half points per contest. Things look very promising. This last year, he was relegated to a little bit more of a bench roll. Pepperdine went small, and, well, they just didn't play well in general. He wound up averaging just two and a half points, right around three rebounds per game. I think that he's going to be big for a Portland State team that they've been able to do a solid job under a little bit of a new regime. So, you wish him absolutely nothing but the best. So we did wind up seeing quite a bit of movement with that regard. And then we wound up seeing a few other guys enter into the NBA draft as well. Malachi Branham is side that he is going to be going pro. This is not really a shock to a lot of people. Wound up having a rough start to the season, honestly. Didn't wind up seeing a lot of minutes towards the back half of the season. Branham was really able to take over. And a guy that away from home was able to be one of the best performers in all of college basketball. Overall for the year, 13.5 points, 3.5 boards, 2 assists. Was able to shoot from 3-point range in the neighborhood of about 41.5% from 3-point range. But you take a look at the splits, and I think that NBA teams are absolutely going to be able to love this guy because, for one, he's right around 6'5"-ish. And for two, in hostile environments, this is a guy that was really able to put up the numbers. I was mentioning it with regards to home and road splits, but you take a look at him in a road environment. So 11 true road games was able to average 16 points, wound up giving the team two assists per contest, and shot from three-point range, 45.3% from three-point range. So he was able to be solid with that regard. And then you wind up seeing a little bit later in the process, as I'm actually recording this, Emmanuel Acott decide that he is going to be entering in the transfer portal as well. Had to wind up hitting upon this one because this one literally just came across as I started recording this. He was at Boise State, won the Big Cox for Boise State, and them being able to make the NCAA tournament. And a guy that has been around for forever. His first year was the 2017-18 season with Arizona, but take a look at the numbers he was able to give to Boise State this last season. Very solid. One of the main cogs on that offense. Seven and a half points. One of the better on-ball defenders that you're going to find in a college basketball. Shot 39% from three as a six foot eight do-it-all stretch player. I think that he is going to be very much wanted out there on the transfer portal, so he has decided that he is going to be going there. He wound up seeing a couple other guys decide to enter into the NBA draft as well. Max Christie decided that he was going to put in his name, and I fully expect him to wind up keeping his name in the NBA draft. There are the possibility that he could wind up coming back, but you take a look at it. Many people have him projected as just outside the lottery, and I don't necessarily see it with Max Christie personally. He had nine and a half points per contest. He's one of those guys that I think he's a classic. Will do better in the NBA rather than college type as he wound up shooting 32% from three-point range. There's just not really a lot that I say, oh boy, Max Christie, what a great college player. But there's a lot of NBA scouts that are drooling over him. So I encourage him to be able to make his money because I honestly think that it might be best for him. It might be best for Michigan State in general as well. Anthony Daruji, he's decided that he is going to be entering in the NBA draft. He's going to be 
re-signing with an agent, it would have been pretty much his sixth year of college if he would have returning someone that this last year at Florida. Average eight and a half points, four boards, shot right around 34% from three-point range. A little bit of a stretch player, right around six foot seven-ish. So you wish him absolutely nothing but the best. Dallin Counts, he may or may not be returning to Northern Colorado. He might wind up entering another transfer portal as well. You decide that he is going to be putting his name in for the NBA draft and was one of the best peer scorers in all of college basketball this last season. If he winds up coming back to Northern Colorado, this is going to be big because he wound up averaging 21 points, four boards, shot 42% from three-point range as a nice little six-foot-four combo player. Got to figure that he'd probably be on some sort of a two-way contract, likely a guy that I would say if he does wind up getting drafted, he's probably like pick number 59, pick number 60. So I do think that he could be a situation which he winds up entering in the transfer portal. If he doesn't like what he winds up hearing, could wind up playing, be playing overseas as well. And then Lester Keonis has decided that he is going to be entering in the NBA draft, may or may not be returning to Memphis slash the transfer portal as well. A guy that wound up averaging 10 points per contest, shot 39% from three-point range, and I would argue that he really wound up doing some of his best work down the stretch because it was a Memphis team that they were all sorts of banged up when it came to the middle part of the season. You take a look at what he was able to do towards back half of the season and he wound up having 7 plus points in each of the team's last 16 contests and in the last 15, average 11.5 points, 3 boards, a seal per contest while shooting 45.5% from 3 par range. So the guy really able, struck him from distance at 6 foot 5 was a big reason why Memphis was able to have the back half of the season that they did. I was talking a little bit earlier about the news with Emmanuel Acott and Boise State and we wound up seeing another gentleman from Boise State make a little bit of a decision as well. Marcus Shaver has decided that he is going to put his name in for the NBA draft. He has yet to sign with an agent so may wind up coming back to school. A guy that averaged 13.5 points per contest. Shot right around 35.5% from 3 par range. 2 assists per contest. Contest. Going to be interesting to see what happens there because he actually has entered in the transfer portal once before, began his career at Portland. You got to figure that if he does wind up going and transferring, he is going to be very coveted out there on the market. If he winds up coming back to Boise State, that team is going to be a force. And you've got the same with Taze Moore as well. Moore was able to do a very solid job with Houston this last year, a guy that has been in college for a very long time. His first year was the 2016-17 season. To put this into perspective, I am class of 2015 with UW Oshkosh, so he is almost as old as I am, a guy that was able to put up 10.5 points per game. He was able to contribute right around four boards, not necessarily the world's greatest three-point shooter at right around 32%, but really a good defensive stopper. So, wound up seeing quite a few guys winding up making some moves with regards to entering into the transfer portal and the NBA draft on Friday. And these are going to be very important to note because these guys are going to be shaping a lot of the rosters that we're going to be seeing next year, but we still have a few games for this year. We do also have a mass exodus happening at LSU as well, so we're going to be talking to Blake Lovell of the 14 SEC about that. He also does great work with the Marching to Madness Lockdown SEC podcast as well. We're going to be taking a look at what's all happening with LSU and what we're going to be getting with these final four games. And that is up next right here on Coast to Coast Suits with myself, Greg Peterson, now part of the Beeson Family Podcast. And it is great to be joined by our guest as we've got Blake Lovell joining me. He does absolutely terrific work over there at Southeastern 14, the Marching to Madness podcast, Locked on SEC podcast. He's done work over there at EchexCVB. He does a lot of work when it comes to the offseason, when it comes to Blue Ribbon Yearbook. I'm sure that he's going to be getting gassed up and ready to go on that as well because Right when one season ends, another begins. As we've got Blake Lovell joining me on the podcast, you're able to follow him on Twitter 
Kathy Blake Lovell. Last name is spelled L-O-V-E-L-L. And Blake, great to have you aboard. Thank you. Yeah, always enjoy, Greg. Yeah, hard to believe we're down to the final weekend of the season, but it should be a lot of fun with the Final Four and certainly some interesting matchups for sure. And as we always say, the transfer portal never stops. So we've hit over a thousand now, right? So I mean, that's when yeah. we know it's it's really in full swing. So it certainly is. And yeah, you know it's in full swing is that when you end up having coaching changes, literally everyone winds up leaving the program, which has been the case for LSU. I don't know if there's a single guy that averaged more than two points per game that is still on the roster after the exodus that we wound up seeing. Now we've seen a couple gentlemen from Murray State, follow their coach, Mr. McMahon over there. I think it's going to be very intriguing to see what we wind up getting from this team, both here in the offseason and next year as well, because it's pretty much become Murray State South at this point with LSU. Yeah, it has. And I mean, you know, like you said, talk about two teams that are going to completely flip their rosters, it seems, LSU and Murray State. And of course, the common connection is Matt McMahon. And it's something. I mean, I think the, you know, ones like Efton Reed and, and guys like that leaving LSU. I mean, certainly he was a high profile five star recruit, Adam Miller, someone who probably, you know, would have been that missing piece at times for LSU this season. We didn't play the entire year due to injury. He's out too. And Xavier Pinson add him to the list. And yeah, a lot of players leaving LSU, as we always say, no surprise when it comes to a coaching change. And as expected, really, I think when you look at the the Murray State guys that are that are joining the group with Juice Hill and Trey Hannibal now going to LSU, I think it was kind of expected when those guys decided they were going to leave Murray State, that's where they were headed. And if you're going to pick up players to bring to your new program, I think you'd like to pick it up from a team that, you know, won 30-something games this year. So I think that's at least something that Matt McMahon can lean on, some familiarity there and some knowns, whereas, as we know, with that LSU job, there's going to probably be a lot of unknowns uh, heading into the next season or so, just based on what comes of the of allegations and any kind of punishments, which we would expect to probably be some pretty strong ones at some point. What kind of punishment is going to come from that? Yep, I certainly do think it's going to be fascinating to see what winds up happening with that and just all the movement in the SEC as well as we've got Blake Lovell joining me on the podcast because with LSU specifically, Kendall Coleman, who wound up playing at Northwestern State, was relatively able to average a double-double last year, so he was a solid player. He decided that he's going to be entering into the program, and with the other SEC schools that wound up having coaching changes, not a lot of guys have wound up coming to this point, but I do think that that is going to be soon to come. Todd Golden, I'm sure that he's going to be hitting the portal a little bit when it comes to Florida. Mike White, I'm sure that he's going to do everything humanly possible to bring in a few guys of his own as well. And I think that's going to be very fascinating because when it comes to the SCUC, we have seen a lot of these teams that have embraced the transfer portal really be able to rise up. Look no further than Arkansas, who the last two years has been one of the best teams out there in the SEC. We know that things didn't necessarily go the way of Alabama this year. I credit a little bit of that to the injury to guys like Nambari Burnett and company, but they've really embraced the transfer portal and they've been able to rise up as well. Even Kentucky, who wound up having a solid regular season, they wind up losing to St. Peter's in the NCAA tournament, but because they embraced the transfer portal, they were able to have a solid year as well. So I do think that it's a sign of things that come in the SEC rather than trying to develop for four years, bringing these guys like a Walker Kessler that can just change the fortunes of your program. Yeah, and I think, like you said, I think the new coaches have embraced that. If, you know, we've seen the guys who've kind of been the standard in the SEC over the years. Of course, we've seen John Calipari start to 
certainly embraced that a lot more now at Kentucky and you know Auburn of, of course has, has brought in some some big time players and so I think you you look at those guys who have been in the SEC for a long time but now it is that group you just mentioned you know with the Eric Musselman kind of does it better than anyone I think and the NATO has started bringing guys in and really I think that's the difference now is if you're wanting to win now which we know. I mean, there's a lot of new coaches in the league this season, but most of these guys are not going to have traditional three-year window anymore. They'll get the time more than likely, but it's from a fan standpoint, from an expectation standpoint, everybody expects you to win now because they see how quickly you can flip your roster now when it comes to transfers and, of course, all the NIL stuff in a league like the SEC. That should be something you can capitalize on, which, again, I think that's certainly helping Arkansas and some of these other programs that are able to do that effectively, whereas maybe some are lagging behind a bit. So that's going to play an important role, but there's no doubt. I mean, the SEC has done well recruiting-wise in terms of freshmen in recent years, but really it's become a league that is really capitalizing on the transfers. And as we've seen, that can take you all the way as far as you need to go sometimes. And it's worked out well for several programs. Yep. And Georgia is going to be trying their hand in it as well as late on Friday. It looks like Justin Hill who was one of the stars of that Longwood team that wanted making the NCAA tournament. He decided that he is going to be playing for Mike White as well. And when it comes to college basketball, the offseason is going to be hot and heavy with all these teams entering into the transfer portal. But before we wind up getting a lot of that hoopla and guys really making their decisions on where they're going to go, we've had a few guys come off the board, but a lot of these guys, they're going to be making their decisions here in the coming weeks and coming months. And in the meantime, we've got ourselves two massive games that are going to be played on Saturday out there in New Orleans, obviously the final four with Villanova, Kansas, North Carolina, and Duke. And let's start with North Carolina and Duke because I just think that this is such an intriguing game. I ultimately do think that Duke is going to get it done, but I think that it would just be very reminiscent of this rivalry if it does wind up coming down to the last possession. I think that North Carolina being able to get that win in Cameron does prove to them that, hey, you know what, we are able to get the job done here. Both of these teams won on each other's home floors. And I think the big question is, what team is going to be affected most by this game being on a neutral court? Because typically jump shooting winds up going down, and both of these teams, they have been utilizing the three ball quite a bit. So I do think that this is going to be a fascinating game that is going to come down to the wire. Yeah, I'm with you. I think it should be a great game. And obviously anything trying to match the expectations of the hype going into it is always tough, especially in this particular scenario. But I think when you really look at it, I mean, these are two teams that have kind of are doing what you need to do at this time. And, you know, we always say that about teams that make the final four, but I mean, there is zero doubt that these two are playing their absolute best right now and we've seen what they put together and like you mentioned you look at I think the just the scoring aspect that to me this is probably one of those games where always maybe a little hesitant sometimes and wonder you know is there going to be kind of that slow start perhaps where teams are getting acclimated just to the environment and those kind of things and we've seen that before I think in you know some of these bigger you know dome stadium type events I ultimately think that this is one where hey offensively I would be surprised if both teams don't really find their rhythm and keep kind of doing what they've been doing to this point and I think this gets interesting and you know I always say Greg I'm kind of with you like I think the expectation is Duke will probably find a way to win this game but I think it's going to be close and I also get a little concerned because I see everyone out there picking Duke at this point and I think it's one of those two where the expectation and the motivation more than anything Yes, like Duke is very motivated. They have a lot to play for in this game. But you talk about motivation. I mean, for (laughs) North Carolina, have you ever been more motivated than this game right here? Just knowing that this is your biggest rival. You went in and pretty much, you know, did what you did at Cameron and Coach K's last game there. And now you've got a chance to do it in the Final Four to deny a national championship, perhaps, to your biggest rival. So, I mean, 
the motivation level may be not the exact same, but I think it's pretty similar when it comes to what North Carolina wants to be able to accomplish here. And I think Hubert Davis done such a great job with his team uh, mentally to get them to this point, you know, throughout a season where, look, they were number eight seed for a reason. It was because they had some ups and downs and you didn't really know what to expect, but here they are. And I think now they kind of go into this. I don't want to say as the underdog in your traditional underdog sense, but I think they're sitting back and seeing everything. Everyone's picking Duke. Everyone thinks this is going to be the storybook ending. I wouldn't be surprised if Carolina maybe comes out, gets off to a hot start here. And then I think it's just, can they withstand that charge from Duke? Because you know it's going to happen. But I think there's just so many fascinating storylines in this one. Well, Blake, North Carolina is an underdog. An underdog of, as a matter <laughs> of fact, four points. So they certainly are the underdog in this case, as we do at Blake Lovell joining me on the podcast. And you mentioned something so interesting because – we always talk about motivation, and it's not just in college basketball. It's in all of sports. It's like, oh, this team is going to be fired up. They wound up losing last game. Oh, it's Coach K's last contest. And all that is true, no question. There's going to be motivation on the side of Duke. I, let's not forget that there's motivation on the other side as well, though. And it's one of those cases in which, yeah, maybe you've got a little bit more on one side than the other, but I always love how there are so many people out there that make it out. It's like, this team is all motivated and everything like that. And then North Carolina came to New Orleans. They were just hoping for a good meal. And it's like, <laughs> oh, I think it's a little bit more than that. We act like the other side is chopped liver. And I think that there are so many people are forgetting about that as well. And I really think that it's curious that North Carolina is playing their best basketball of the year. And in your opinion, what has allowed North Carolina to be able to get to this spot? Because, I mean, even if you take a look five, six weeks ago, when North Carolina wanted to lose it to Pittsburgh, there was a question as to whether or not forget the final four, they would make the NCAA tournament. And now here they are. So they've had a big turnaround. Yeah, it's been incredible to see. And I think really, you know, Greg, when we look at it, and of course you can go back to really, I mean, like we said, really after that pit loss, they really started to turn things around. They got that big win at Virginia Tech and they were kind of just off to the races from there. But I think, and look, this is something you just have to look at sometimes. Like it's just, they're scoring the ball at such an efficient rate now. And I think that's something that's really going to be interesting to me in this game because they have scored a lot of points and they've been able to outscore teams. And, you know, even in a situation like, you know, you look at the game against Marquette, right? Where you come in and it's an eight, nine game and they're putting up 95 points. And I think even that game against Baylor told me a lot about this team, because as we know, when you think about Baylor, you know, defensively, they're they're going to give you some things that make it very hard to kind of play the way you want to play. And I think we've seen, though, they were able to crack that. And really, you know, not for just I know the second half kind of got away from them. But when you look at how North Carolina played just overall in that game, they still it goes to overtime. They're still able to make the plays to win the game. And I think it's just you're seeing a lot more confident team now where I think is they were really trying to find their way to me throughout the majority of the season. I think you could see that in some of these just very sort of strange results, right? And the one I always look at, Greg, and I was looking back at this a couple of weeks ago, how strange it was to kind of see, you know, and I know they play different styles and, and that certainly has something to do with it, but it's like you get a team that wins a game 58-47 against Boston College and then comes right back the next game and wins 100-80 against North Carolina State. And it's just, I think, getting more acclimated just to playing different styles. That to me has also played a big part because when you look at some of these teams they played along the way, I mean, St. Peter's is a great example. I, I know a lot of people aren't giving St. Peter's a shot to get to the final four and beat North Carolina, but that's a little bit of a different look that, that maybe you haven't seen in terms of how they play defense. And, you know, UCLA plays a different style than a team like Baylor. I think being able to to have those adjustments and they've made them so well on the offensive end, I think that's been a huge part of it. And again, you know, you're going to be tested here by a Duke team 
as we know, that's got a lot of length. And can you, you know, get enough scoring, you know, to over someone like Mark Williams and of course, Bancaro there at 6'10 and these other guys. So I think it's just, they've been a team that's been able to adjust to how the game is played and the different styles they've seen. And look, I mean, they're going to play a team that has had no problem doing that either. When you look at what Duke did against Texas Tech and a team like Arkansas too. So that's something to me that's really stood out this North Carolina team. Yep, I'm right there with you. North Carolina has really been able to do a good job of having a well-rounded game. Armando Baycott having 20 rebounds in that game against St. Peter's. Caleb Love going off in that Sweet 16 game against UCLA. The balance has certainly been there. As we do, Blake Lovell joining me on the podcast. And when it comes to Kansas versus Villanova, a little bit less size in this match. Uh, Villanova does not have a guy that is going to be towering over, getting a double-digit amount of rebounds. And as a matter of fact, they're probably going to be utilizing a five-man rotation in this game. They're playing against a Kansas team that has been a little bit inconsistent here in the NCAA tournament. I chalk it up a little bit more to some of the teams that they've played having very good showings, like Creighton really shooting threes. And by the way, this is the third time this NCAA tournament that Kansas is going to be facing a Big East school. So I find that to be a little bit intriguing as well. But when it comes down to it, I think that Kansas winds up getting the job done. I think that the big question is by how many points, because I fully expect Jay Wright to have this Villanova team ready to go. I think that he's going to do a great job of scheming things up, making things slow without Justin Moore. I just don't think that Villanova in the end is going to have the firepower to be able to get the job done here. I'm not sure how you wind up seeing this game, but I do think that Villanova is going to give Kansas everything that they've got. I think that they do a good job of getting their tempo. I just don't think that they're going to be able to just hit enough shots in general to be able to win. Yeah, I'm with you on this one. This one to me feels a lot more straightforward just in terms of, you know, kind of how the teams play and then the Justin Moore injury to me just kind of, it's hard. I mean, it's hard to envision a team being able to beat a team like Kansas, you know, without one of your better players. And to me, needing to score a lot of points in this game, because I think this will come down to pace. Like we talked about, there's a lot of similarities between Carolina and Duke and some of these other teams, but it's just these two teams play just a different style. And I think they have to do different things to win. Whereas we know, you look at Kansas, we know this is a team that's going to get up and down the floor. And we saw that against Miami, where once they're able to get out, you know, get some fast break points, really push the tempo a little bit and they get in a rhythm, there may not be another team that's going to beat them the rest of the way if they do that. And that's where I think for Villanova, it's kind of the flip of that, where Villanova wants to get you in a half-court game, kind of grind it out a bit, I think. You know, when you look at all the the tempo and pace numbers and all that for Villanova, we know it's kind of what you would expect from Jay Wright teams, uh, pretty much. I mean, we really looked at over there, even some of his championship teams he had. I guess the first team, thinking about it, probably played a little bit more of a slower pace than the second one. But I think that's what you need if you're Villanova. To me, Greg, this is like, what's the score if either team wins? To me, it's like if Villanova wins, I think it's like 59-57. If Kansas wins, it may at 80 or something like that. I think that's the way it has to be played. I think Villanova has to keep this game in the low 60s to me to have a chance to win this one. I find it hard to believe they're going to be able to to kind of duke it out with Kansas in that kind of sense. But look, these are two teams that have been really good on both sides of the floor this season. And it's not knowing exactly what you're going to get without Justin Moore in there and knowing what kind of the contributions he can make, specifically on the offensive side and, and adding that shooting threat to be able to get on a roll, you know, if Kansas gets going too and you're trying to match them basket for basket. I just think that's going to be a challenge. But you said it. I think you never ignore what Jay Wright can do here from a game planning standpoint. And I, I do think they will find a way to kind of control the pace here and at least make this a bit of a grind. If they do that, you know, I think you have a chance. But 
if you let Kansas do what they did and what I thought was, I haven't seen many teams do what they did in the second half to Miami. Mm-hmm. I mean, just an onslaught in terms of what they did in that second half. If you let them get out and start making, you know, those kind of moves in the open court and really get on a roll, I just don't think Villanova can keep up from an offensive standpoint, unless, you know, this is a team we know that shoots some threes and can make some threes. So that can kind of help you out. But I just think that's going to be a hard thing to rely on, in my opinion. I do agree with you. Kansas certainly was on a roll in that game against Miami. Not as good of a role as you've been on, though, Blake. You do an absolutely amazing job over there at Southeastern 14. You also do great work when it comes to Blue Ribbon Yearbook. And I'm sure sooner rather than later, you're going to be working on your upcoming 2022-23 previews, which, boy, oh, boy, that's strange to say. But it's honestly not too far off in the horizon as we're down to the Final Four. I know that you do a ton of other podcasts like the Marching the Bandits podcast, Lockdown SEC podcast, list goes on and on. You're a very busy man. So let the good people at home know it's all on tap for you and how people can follow along on social media, other platforms. Yeah, I always appreciate it, Greg. Yeah, usually once that calendar turns to May and we just turned it to April, we start getting our planning in order and being able to start grinding out these these interviews and the process. But I think the thing that has changed over the years, of course, is we wait a little bit longer now just because there's so many transfers and that can change a lot. So we, we try to talk to coaches kind of as late as we can in the summer, but we try to get some of them pretty early too. So be sure to, to check all that out. We were in your book, like you said, just a, a tremendous resource and it will not be long before we start looking ahead to next season. <laughs> but yeah, all my SEC stuff you can find at southeastern14.com and everything else. You can follow me on Twitter at the Blake Bubble. Blake does a great job following college basketball all throughout the year and he covers a lot of different conferences as well he's based out there in nashville tennessee so obviously he's locked in on the sec but he also does like the big west the rising league is one that he covers every single year as well he's done some work in the past with regards to the whack as well so this man is a wealth of knowledge always brings it on this podcast and did so once again today so big thanks to blake lovell for joining me right here on coast to coast soups now part of the Vison family podcast and coming in next it is that time the podcast to give you picks and analysis on every game on the betting board for this final four saturday as we hit some bank shots Las Vegas for Coast to Coast Hoops with myself, Greg Spears, and now part of the Beeson Family Podcast. It is always a pleasure to get Blake Lovell on the podcast. Guy is a wealth of knowledge when it comes to college basketball. A guy that when it comes to everything that he does over there at Blue Ribbon Yearbook, he has his hands in a lot of the conference previews that you wind up seeing, a lot of these team previews. He does a lot of interviews with coaches. Just one of the best in the business, and it's always great to get him on the podcast. So, big thanks to him. Now it is that time of the podcast. We've got two games in the final four today that I give you picks and analysis on both of them as we hit some bank shots. Most financial establishments close at a certain time, but not here. It is time for a side and total on every game on today's betting board bank shots. Typically, this is where I say, do note that if we have any changes that are made to these plays, they will be listed up on my Twitter feed at Jaren's41. Pretty much, we aren't going to have any changes made to these unless if like a nuclear bomb winds up hitting and or we wind up having like an FBI sting the night before the NCAA Tournament Final Four, and it winds up wiping out like half the people you end up having. The good old dodgeball situation of, oh no, O'Shea Baji broke every bone in his body riding the roller coaster last night, so... You're probably not going to get any changes to these, but with that said, let's dive in. We're going to go with the early game first and then the later game as 
We go with rotation number 701, 702, Kansas and Villanova. Mostly seeing fours now on Kansas. You were seeing four and a half a little bit earlier in the week, but for the most part, Kansas is laying four points. Your total is anywhere between 133 and 133 and a half. And what I'm saying, my total at 130 and a half. I've been talking about this all week long. Villanova, when they wound up having Colin Gillespie out of the fold for their three NCAA tournament games last season, they played in that NCAA tournament at a pace that would be slower than any team in college basketball played the last two seasons, giving up 61, 62, and 63 points. By the way, total is a DK Nation pick. The under is what I'm going to be giving out for DK Nation. So that is going to just put it nice, plain, and simply right there. But Villanova. This is a team that they were already playing slow. They've given up 65 points or fewer in every one of their games ever since the beginning of the Big East tournament, so they've been consistent on that side of things. I just think that they're going to be a little bit outgunned in this spot because you do have a Kansas team that you've got O'Shea Ubaji, a guy that's able to give you 19 points per contest. Scoring has been a little bit down here towards back of the season, but Remy Martin, up until that Elite Eight game, he had seen his point total progress in eight straight contests. A guy that was at Arizona State had 19 points, three and a half assists. He's been able to show that same form. You've got Christian Braun who's able to give you 14 and a half points, six and a half boards, 39% three-point shooter for Villanova. Among teams that made the NCAA tournament, they have the highest percentage of their points that winds up coming from three. And you take a look at this Kansas team. Over the last 13 games, they've allowed opponents to shoot right around 27.5% from three-point range. That's one of the best marks in all of college basketball. So I do think that you're able to rely upon that. I don't think that, honestly, Kansas necessarily has the world's biggest event on the glass. I do think that it's a little bit of one. Braun is able to give you six half rebounds per game. Jalen Wilson, David McCormick, they're able to combine four right in the neighborhood of about 14 rebounds per game, but I think that Villanova is going to be able to hold up there. Jermaine Samuels, Eric Dixon, these two guys combined to give you 20.2 points, 13 rebounds per game. Dixon actually shoots 51.5% from three-part range, and I do think that Villanova is going to be very well coached in this game. I do think that you're going to have Jay Wright do one of his best jobs with Kong Gillespie really being able to run the show. 15.5 points, 3.5 assists, shoots 40% from three, but the big thing with having Justin Moore out of the fold is that he's really the team's best playmaker. Now, the good news with Villanova is that this is a team that they do a supreme job of getting their free throws in the bucket. 83% free throw shooting team that is by far the best mark in all of college basketball. The problem is because they do wind up settling for so many jumpers and they don't necessarily pound the ball down low too much. They don't get to the free throw line very often. They are a little bit more of a slow and methodical team as well. So I do think that that's going to wind up hurting them in this spot. So if you're taking a look at some of these player props, I'd be probably taking a look at a whole bunch of unders in this game because you take a look at like the player props for points. Caleb Daniels is at 12.5. Christian Braun is at 11.5. Colin Gillespie is 14.5. I really don't take a look at these and I see a whole lot of overs. Remy Martin at 11.5 I think is a little bit too low because he's been able to do a solid job. If I'm looking at an over I'm looking at Remy Martin at DraftKings. I'm seeing him at 11.5 now. The juice on that is minus 140 which if you're looking at some of these player props you can't be laying minus 140 on the juice. I'm sorry. You're going to be running the risk to say the least. I would rather take like a 12.5 and a little bit more of a minus 110 juice personally but I would be probably taking a look at a lot of unders in this spot. Eric Dixon at 8.5 as well. I'm seeing minus 120 juice there. That's not necessarily the world's worst look. I just think that you're going to have a relatively calm, a relatively in-control game in this one. I wound up setting my total at a 130, so I'm going to be diving under. That is the DK Nation pick. Now with Kansas, I do wind up setting them as a 4.5 point favorite. At 4.5, like we were seeing a little bit earlier, I would have rather laid the points with Kansas rather than taking it just because Villanova is pretty much running out there a 
five-man band at this point, but here, especially at four, want to lay with Kansas, and I'm going to be taking a look at the under, and then we wrap things up with the big one of 703-704 Duke, North Carolina. North Carolina, a little bit earlier in the week, was finding themselves at a four-and-a-half-point underdog. Now you're seeing them at four. Toronto's game is anywhere between 151 and 151 half. At four exactly, I would rather take the points with North Carolina rather than laying them with Duke. I would say that if you, like me, think that North Carolina is going to be able to hang in this game, I would be patient. I fully anticipate that there's going to be a lot of money that winds up coming in on Duke because it is the last ride for Coach K. It is a case in which everyone's thinking that it's inevitable that we wind up getting Kansas versus Duke in the national championship. So there's going to be a lot of people that they wind up taking Duke on the money line. They wind up laying the spread with Duke. And I think that Duke is going to be able to get the job done outright. But I think that this is going to be a classic grind about one to two possession game we were talking about with Blake. You've got a North Carolina team that they've got all the motivation in the world to come out just absolutely hot in this game. And you've got a North Carolina team that has been able to do a little bit of a better job on defense as well. you got a Duke bunch that they rank right around 190th with regards to possessions per game. So it's not necessarily a blazer of a team. And with North Carolina, it's not like the defense has been supreme or anything like that. But 72 points or fewer given up in now five out of the last six games. So they've been able to step it up a little bit more with that regard. And if you wind up missing your first shot, you're not getting a second shot on North Carolina. Second in the country in road and neutral court defensive rebound rate. Opponents get an offensive rebound on fewer than 20% of their misses and a big thanks to that is Armando Baycott who's able to give you 16.5 points 12.8 rebounds, 1.7 blocks per contest. North Carolina's whole, they do shoot 36.5% from three-point range, but 39% at home, 34% in a road and neutral court environment, so you do see a little bit of a dip there. Now, Brady Manick has been absolutely terrific for this team since the beginning of the month of February. He's been averaging right around 18 points per contest, and for Duke, you take a look at the man that has been able to step up for them, and that would be the Roach, Jeremy Roach, who has been tremendous here in the NCAA tournament. A guy that overall for the year gives you right around 8.5 points, 3 assists per contest. He wind up getting a little bit loose with the ball in that game against Arkansas, but has now been able to give the team at least nine points in each out of last eight contests, so has been able to step up really with that regard. A guy that, from three-point range, not necessarily a flamethrower, but shoots right around 34% from distance, so he's been able to do a relatively solid job there. I do like Paulo Banqueros overall game, 17 points, eight rebounds per contest. He does wind up settling for jump shots a little bit more often than I would like. Wendell Moore has been able to step up for this Duke team as well. 13.5 points, 5 boards, 4 assists per contest. Shoots right around 41% from 3-point range. But I do think that with this game being played in the New Orleans Superdome that you are going to see a little bit of a lower scoring game. If you take a look at the last time that we wound up having a Final Four out there now, it's quite a while ago, 2012. Ironically enough, Kansas was in that Final Four as well. You wind up seeing none of the teams in the Final Four or the title game wind up being able to get to 70. That was also the year in which you wound up having Anthony Davis over there at Kentucky as well. But I do wind up saying my total at a 148 because I do think that both of these teams that they do take quite a few jump shots. They're going to have a little bit of a tough time and I just think in general, this is a game that is going to be a little bit slowed down due to the magnitude of it all. I think that North Carolina is going to be feeling some pressure. I think that Duke is going to be feeling a little bit of that squeeze as well. And if you take a look at the player props that we've got in this game as well, AJ Griffin with one and a half threes. If I'm looking at anyone to be able to go over their three-point prop, it'd be that. But the problem is the juice at DraftKings is minus 175. I don't encourage you to lay minus 175 on props. That's just 
too much. I think that you should be able to bury a couple threes. You wound up seeing it in the first contest in which these two teams wound up playing at Chapel Hill. I believe that you wound up having seven threes in that game. His point total overall is 11.5. I think that there's a reasonable chance that he winds up going over that, but once again, at the minus 130 juice, I would rather take a 12.5 at more of a minus 110 line rather than an 11.5 at minus 130. Personally, then you've got other guys out there like a Brady Manic at 16 and a half. I think that that's a little bit too lofty. I think that when you wind up having a number like Paulo Boncaro at 17 and a half, that's just something that I'm not necessarily interested in because when it comes to a lot of these rivalry games, typically it's some of these guys that you don't necessarily think about that wind up being able to come to the forefront. And Armando Baycott, I mean, his rebound prop is 12 and a half. Should he be able to pull in there at least 10? Yeah, I wouldn't want to lay minus 135 on 12 and a half either. These player props just, they are not calling my name right now. If you wind up diving into these, go for it. It's just one of these cases in which, especially when the juice winds are getting up a little bit higher, it's not necessarily worth it. The best advice I have for you guys is to be able to shop around on some of these because if you're able to get more like, I would say, Paulo Boncaro, like 16 and a half at minus 110, rather than what we're seeing right now is 17 and a half, which is more like minus 120, then you're starting to talk a little bit more, then you're starting to get a little bit more value, but right now at current numbers, I'm just not seeing a lot that I really like, and I'm not going to be diving into the player props personally, but I do think that this is going to be a relatively tight game. At four exactly, I'll be willing to take the points with North Carolina. I have a feeling that we're going to see a little bit of a line move, and I'm going to be on the under in this game as well, and that'll wrap things up. For the Saturday edition of Coast to Coast Hoops, now part of the Vison Family Podcast, a big thanks to Blake level of the 14 SEC along with the Blue Ribbon Yearbook, Marching the Bandits Podcast, Lockdown SEC Podcast. Guys, a little bit of everywhere and join me in the second segment here today. And if you like what you're hearing from this fine podcast, Coast to Coast Hoops, you're able to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, and TuneIn. If you've got a question, comment, segment, idea, what have you for this podcast, count one or two ways we'll fire those in. First one is my Twitter timeline at gunit underscore d1. Keep in mind, letters CM. They mean does not matter, so as per usual. Please send these into the timeline and the other way is via an Apple Podcast review. If you rate this podcast five stars, it is very much appreciated. From there, you're able to fire and whatever you'd like to hear on this podcast via that five-star review. Going to be coming at you guys every single day throughout the college basketball season, and that means I'm coming at you once again tomorrow. Thank you so much for tuning in.